a word of welcome. Thanks, Tiffany. To those of you who are new here this morning, my name is Alex. That was my daughter, Emma. And uh, I want to say uh, particular welcome. And this is uh, your first time here with us. And it's been a long time since you've been in church or maybe never been in church. Thank you so much for joining us here on a Sunday morning. We are delighted you're here. And what we're all about is connecting, connecting people to God, connecting people to each other. So together we can engage the world for good in his name and according to his purposes. We hope you experience a little bit of all those things here this morning. Dads, happy Father's Day. Hope you uh, are celebrated and delighted in whatever your Father's Day love language is, whether it's a big steak or just left alone on the, on the back porch of a hammock or doing projects. I hope you have a great Father's Day. And uh, hey, listen, from one dad to uh, the rest of y'all, may we both Know God loves us as a good father, whether you had a good father or not. And may we reflect God's great love as a good father to our kids. May we grow in that, uh, our own strength, in our own parenting as best we possibly can. Well, this summer we're doing a series called Signature Moments. Well, chances are you've got, if, if, you know, you've got a dad that you love or some other family member or friend that you know, know and love well. And there are stories that sort of embody who they are, right? That are characteristic, their quirks and their personality traits and the funny things about them. And you tell those stories often over and over and over again, sometimes to those people's chagrin. Well, God has his own signature moments with his people. And so over the course of the summer, we're going to go from Genesis to Revelation, looking at these signature moments between God and his people so that we might know what God's signature might look like. Because here's the thing, God might be coming to you, moving toward you with something that looks like God, and you might not see it, might ignore it, might even reject it. And when we reject God's signature movements towards us, we miss out on what might be a signature moment in our lives. So we're going to look at these signature moments from God's perspective and say, what does God's signature look like so we might see it and not push back against it, not miss it. We might actually attend to it. And then we're going to look at the people in the stories who respond faithfully. There's all these different people in these different stories, and they all respond. They have different roles to play. They're playing from their lane and from their part in the story. They respond faithfully to the Lord. And so when God's signature movement meets people's faithful responsiveness, it releases all kinds of beauty, love, truth, redemption into the world. When God's activity meets our faithful responsiveness, it's like the spirit just moves. Redemption starts to happen. Grace starts to happen. New life starts to happen. So the goal for this series over the course of the summer, both individually and collectively for all of us, is goal number one is that we might grow in recognizing what God's signature looks like. How, is, how do I know when God's at work, when God's moving? Because you don't want to miss it, you don't want to ignore it, and you don't want to push back or reject it. We all want to embrace it. And then goal number two is that we might cultivate and learn a variety of faithful responses. There's all kinds of ways to respond faithfully to what the Lord might be doing in your life or in your situation. And so we want to invite everyone to sort of step into it so that we might not miss our own signature moments because when God's signature activity meets human beings' faithful responses, it unleashes all kinds of beauty, power, redemption, love, grace, truth into the world. Now, today, uh, indicate this read a passage out of 2 Chronicles 34. Now, if you're not familiar with the Bible, 2 Chronicles is from the Old Testament, and it chronicles, it tells the story of king after king after king in the Old Testament of Israel's history. Now, it's mostly a bleak time for the people of Israel. Most of these kings are bad kings. They don't love God, and they don't serve the people faithfully. And there's a handful of good kings, and Josiah, the king that Emekate just read about, is one of those good kings. Now, here's what happened. Josiah's dad, Ammon, Ammon was not a good king, and his, his officers, his officials, conspired to assassinate him. Good story. Happy ending. And the officials who assassinate his father, Ammon, 
put Josiah in charge. Now, I don't know if any of you have ever been in an assassination experience. Any of you ever been in a country or a, anyone ever assassinate your boss? Any experiences like that? I hope not. Okay. Well, if you, I, it's never happened to me either, but my, my assumption is it's not a good situation, right? Assassination equals not a good situation. It's often chaotic. It's often uncertain. There's a lot of turmoil. There's a lot of, it's a charged atmosphere, right? So what do you do when there's a lot of political chaos, a lot of turmoil, a lot of uncertainty in the air? Well, here's what the officials do. And the passage before the passage that indicate read, here's what the officials do with the, the king's son. Here's what happens in 2 Chronicles 34, verse 1. Josiah was eight years old when he became king and reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. Well, let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever raised an eight-year-old, babysat an eight-year-old, or ever met an eight-year-old boy before? How much stability did that eight-year-old boy bring to the situation? What do you do for chaos? You introduce an eight-year-old in charge, right? Whose broad idea was it to put an eight-year-old boy in charge of a kingdom that's in total flux and total chaos? What a crazy idea. But this is what the author of Chronicles says about King Josiah. He did finally, unlike his dad, what was right in the eyes of the Lord, followed the ways of his great-great-great-great-grandfather David, not turning to the right or the left. Now, in the 18th year of his reign, at the ripe old age of 26, uh, he starts to do a bunch of really, really good things in the world. Like he, he, all, all, in the, all a picture of his faithful work. He just goes to work uh, repairing the temple, right? He goes to work repairing the temple, fixing things up. And as they are doing this work of repairing the temple, they stumble, and that's the story that MK just read, they stumble across the book of the law. Now, what's shocking about this is the book of the law should have never had to be discovered or rediscovered in the first place. Like, this is what the whole nation was built about. This is their founding documents, like the Bill of Rights, the Constitution, like not just religious stuff, like the whole nation, all their laws, everything was right here in the book of the law, these first five books of the scripture. This was supposed to be their lives and their livelihood. It's supposed to shape everything about them. This book, this law, and the God over this book was supposed to be the centerpiece of their whole lives. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever forgotten what was really important before? Ever lost the plot of your own life? Ever forgotten most important things in your life? Happens in marriages sometimes. Happens in parenting sometimes. Happens in key extended family relationships where you sort of forget to prioritize those important things. Happens in businesses, right? If you ever worked in a business, we feel like the people at the top lost the plot, forgot why we're here, the purpose, the mission. This happens all the time. Mission drift, purpose drift. It happens all the time time. We have people who show up here at Chatham Community Church on the regular who say, you know what, I, I, I have had some church background in the past, but haven't really been plugged into church or faith or God since COVID. Or we moved just before COVID and things got busy and just kind of drifted away. Or, you know, I grew up in church, but then we got busy with kids and careers and haven't really been to church in five years, 50 years, 100 years. I mean, long, long time. And if that's you, we're so glad you're here. Welcome. There's so many people around, there's dozens and dozens of people who have that exact same story, who've sort of drifted kind of from God and from faith and from faith being a part of their lives in any meaningful way. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We're always so glad when people say, you know what, I want to plug back in. 
I want to explore. For some people, that ex exploration is sort of actually their adult engagement with faith that maybe they grew up with but was never really a part of their lives in a meaningful way beyond kind of uh, childhood. We're so glad when people re-plug in to the God of the universe who created them and redeemed them and loved them. And let me just say, all of us, it is really easy to forget things that should never have been forgotten. The most important thing in the universe, the God who made you, created you, redeemed you, suffered, bled, and died for you, and says, I want you to be a part of my kingdom coming, my will being done on earth as it is in heaven. It's really easy to forget what's most important. The people of Israel, it's been 70 years since they've had a really good king. 70 years when most of the, most of the people are not literate, right? There's very, few there's very little information capture. Only a few scrolls, right? Only people, and, so, and people's short lifespans are shorter. So 70 years, that's a couple generations, and people have drifted from God. They don't remember the law. They don't remember the scriptures. They're far, far, far from the Lord. And the way this is written, it's almost funny. It's almost playful. Like it's almost discovery language, right? So he'll kind the priest found the book of the law as if he like stumbled across it, right? And then Hilkiah says to Shaphan, the secretary, hey, look, I found the book of the law. Who knew this thing even existed? It's almost like, surprise, there it is. And then Shaphan goes to the king and says, uh, the priest gave me this book. Should we open it up, see what's inside? Surprise. The people of Israel were supposed to be built on that book and the God over that book. And they've drifted from that book and from the God over that book. And that is so, so easy to have happen to any one of us. It's happening all over, within 20 minutes from here, it's happening all over Chatham County and beyond. And it's, it's, it's not far from happening for any one of us. So the question is, how do they find the book, right? How do they, how do they rediscover, how do they engage or re-engage with the faith and life of faith that was supposed to sort of dominate and dictate kind of who they were. Here's how uh, the writer of Second Chronicles sort of describes how they rediscover and refine this book. Verse 16, Shaphan took the book to the king and reported to him, your officials are doing everything that's been committed to them. They paid out the money that was in the temple of the Lord and have entrusted it to the supervisors and the workers. Now the way this is written is almost like Shaphan is saying this, your people are doing exactly what they were supposed to be doing. They're being faithful in the work you've given them to do. And the faithful work that they've been given to do is to repair the temple. So here's what's happening. As the people, the, the people don't know what they don't know, right? No one cleaning up the temple knows that they don't know the word of God. They don't even know the word of God exists. They haven't heard it before. So they, they don't know what they don't know. But here's what they do. They do what is faithful and good and right and true. And you know what they discover? The God who is faithful, right, good, and true. As they are faithfully doing good work that they are called to do, they discover the God who is himself faithful. My friends, some really good news. The life of faith does not start with you. It starts with God. Starts with what God's done in Jesus. Starts with what God has done throughout history. Starts with what God has done. And it will end with what God will do to redeem all things and make all things new. The life of faith is not primarily about you, but you do have a role to play. You do have a role to play. And for you to rediscover what is most important, for you to discover to begin with what is most important, or for you to remember and grow up into what is most important in the whole universe will in many ways be decided by where you put yourself. And what you do. Will you cultivate faithful practices and faithful places to be reminded 
and experience and wrestle with what is true about God and the scriptures in the world? Will you make those decisions to put yourself in places to continue to not to continue to cultivate a life of faith or to grow up into it for the first time, if this is your first time ever or first time in a long time, or you're not even sure you believe any of this, welcome, welcome, welcome. You're in exactly the right place to meet the God of the universe who loves you. What signature about God? What signature about God in this moment is that God's not going anywhere. Good news, amen? God will remain. He will be good. He will be loving. His purposes, his reign, his rule, whether you know it or not, whether you remember it or not, whether you pay attention, whether you care about God at all or not, the good news is God is still God. His purposes are still good. His purposes will remain. And whether or not you're living into it, his goodness will remain forever and ever. Amen. That's what's signature about God. The question is, Will you experience it? Will you remember it? And whether or not we experience it, whether or not we discover or remember or discover it, will in many ways by, by be answered or dictated by where we put ourselves, the places where we position ourselves. Are we open to receiving what God has for us? Now, of course, putting yourself in places to be reminded or taught what is true about God doesn't mean you always meet God, right? All kinds of people go pray and show up at church and read their Bibles, and they're jerks. They just use that stuff to prop up their own self-righteousness, right? They use the religious stuff to prop up their own self-righteousness, their own arrogance, their own egos, their own political agenda, their own personal agenda. All kinds of people use religious stuff in all kinds of broken ways. Here's what human beings do. Human beings are really good at taking something that's really good and using it for the wrong ends and the wrong purposes. We're gifted at that, aren't we? There's nothing God's created so good that we have not found a way to mess it up as human beings. I wish it wasn't so. Even the most sacred things, especially the most sacred things. And so, yes and amen. All kinds of religious people doing all kinds of messed up stuff. However, we don't accidentally drift into becoming men and women after God's own heart. You don't accidentally become a person who's deep and full of the Holy Spirit. You don't accidentally become a person who's full of God's wisdom. That's truth. God's counterintuitive truth. You don't accidentally become a man or woman who's full of the fruit of the Spirit. That happens as we cultivate faithful practices and faithful places so that we don't forget what is most important, so that we don't have to rediscover it, so that we can remember and grow up into what is most true, right, and good. Now, of course, discovering the law doesn't mean you're going to follow the law, right, in the Old Testament. Discovering the scriptures doesn't mean you're going to follow the scriptures. In fact, we have, we have record of another king uh, kind of in this whole era of like, uh, the, the messy kings over and over again. One king has the scriptures read to him for the first time. They discover the law again, and he, gets, he has it read to him. And you know what he says? Tear it up and burn it. Doesn't want to hear it course that's not what Josiah does here's Josiah's response to his first exposure to the words of God verse 19 when the king heard the words of the law he tore his robes and he gave these orders go and inquire of the Lord for me for the remnant in Israel and Judah about what is written in this book that has been found great is the Lord's anger that is poured out on us because those who've gone before us have not kept the word of the Lord they've not acted in accordance with all that is written in this book Hilkiah and those the king had sent with him went to speak with the prophet Huldah. Now, this is like one of those passages that are really hard. Because for anyone who 
remotely as interested in a, in a life with God, and remotely interested in a spiritual journey, there's going to come a, a fork in the road. And here's the fork in the road. The fork in the road is when God comes to you and says, you have this plan, I have this other plan, choose. You're doing X, and you kind of like doing X. And I'm telling you, I don't want you to do X, I want you to do Y. What are you going to do? What are you going to do when God comes to you and sort of says, you have to choose which path you're going to go down? Because God's signature sometimes, not always, but sometimes looks like correction, challenge, rebuke even, right? Redirection. Sometimes, not always. God's signature moment in your life. And you're going to have to decide, am I willing to comply with what God is speaking to me and over me. That fork of the road will in many ways dictate whether or not you will spend your life experiencing God's signature movement and moments in your life. So Josiah gets this word of correction from the scriptures. He knows the people have not been living in accordance with this. And what Josiah does in response is he tears his robe. It's a, sort of a, a symbol of sort of a repentance heartbreak, sorrow, contrition, and he says, go inquire of the Lord. And they go and look to Huldah, the prophets. All right, so listen, a quick backstory of the Old Testament. Old Testament, there are three offices, prophets, priests, and kings, right? So three main offices of the Old Testament, prophets, priests, and kings. Kings, of course, military kings, military leaders, political side of things, that's what kings do. Priests work in the temple, right? They kind of help facilitate the temple's work and sacrifices and prayers. So that's important for the priests. The prophets are outside the establishment. They're like roving truth speakers. They're outside the establishment, and often their role is to speak truth or correction back to the king or the priests. Now, this prophet is Huldah, so she's a woman. We have only a handful of women prophets, but prophets were already outside the system and were often ignored or hated. But if she's a woman especially, she could easily, easily, especially be ignored and hated because she was a woman. Prophets were often flies in the ointments. Monkey in the wrenches. You didn't want those people over for Thanksgiving or dinner or Christmas parties. They were, they were often really, really harsh. They were not gentle in their correction. And the kings that were rebelling against God often sort of had them arrested, sometimes had them killed. Because they did not want to hear what the prophets had to say. And so here in this moment, you have Josiah. And here's the question. Who do you turn to when you need someone to tell you what's true? Do you turn to people who actually just want to tell you what you want to hear? Do you look to people who are going to flatter you? Are you looking to somebody, if you're Josiah, do you look for someone on your payroll who depends on you being happy with them to sort of get their paycheck? Or are you willing to go ask someone to tell you the truth that you know speaks the truth even if you don't want to hear it? This is a signature moment for Josiah and that whole generation of Israelites. And it's marked by these few things. First off, you've got the rediscovery of the truth of God as the people are doing faithfully exactly what they're supposed to be doing. The second thing that happens is you get God's signature in this moment of correction, challenge, and rebuke. Doesn't always come that way, but in this instance, it does. And for all of us, we'll have an experience of God's signature looking something like this. And then you've got Josiah's response, contrition and wisdom speaking. Wisdom seeking. He wants to know what's true, even if it's not especially comfortable. Even if it's not especially happy. Contrition. 
tearing his robes. He's heartbroken. He's repentant, right? Now, contrition is not shame. Let's, let's differentiate these things, okay? Shame is I'm bad. I'm wrong. Like things about me that are unfixable often, right? Shame is paralyzing. It often just says nothing you can do to make it better. You're just not enough, not enough, not enough, and nothing you can do will ever be enough. This isn't that. This isn't shame. This isn't shame. It's also not unhealthy guilt. Here's what unhealthy guilt is. Unhealthy guilt is when you see you've done something wrong, you earnestly ask for God's forgiveness. You earnestly seek forgiveness from people around you. You do whatever work you need to do to repair things and to repent means to turn around, to go in the opposite direction. You've earnestly done the work of seeking forgiveness, asking forgiveness, healing whatever there is to be healed and working, and you still feel guilty about it. That's no longer the voice of God. That's just the voice of something else. That's unhealthy guilt. This is contrition. In this instance, is what the New Testament calls sort of godly guilt that leads to genuine repentance. Now, here's the problem. The problem is this. Guilt and shame, it moves people, especially in religious environments. And some of you grew up in religious environments where people like me who use guilt and shame to motivate people. If you spent a long time in an environment that was full of guilt and shame to try to get you to move, I am so, so sorry. Forgive me. Forgive us. Forgive us church people. It gets people moving. But it's so unhealthy, and it only works for a few minutes. And people burn out and get exhausted. And more importantly, it's not how God motivates. And we're going to do everything we can here at Town Community Church to not trade in shame and guilt. God motivates through conviction. Conviction generates contrition. I see what's wrong about my life, and I want to make amends. I want to make things right with God and the people around me. There is a genuine healthy level of remorse and regret that leads to... Right action, faithful living. That's not just guilt and shame piled up. It's actually, I see what's wrong, and I'm going to move and repent and move in ways that are faithful, right, good, and true. What you see with Josiah is he is now, he sees what's wrong, he weeps over it, and then he starts taking steps of wisdom to do what's right, good, and true. So you have Josiah, who's got this godly sorrow, sees that things are wrong, and he wants to make things right. So his people go to the prophet Huldah. And the prophet Huldah is sort of not afraid to say what's true, right? So Josiah seeks wisdom, but he still needs someone to speak back to him what's right and true. And Huldah does not hold back. Here's excerpts of what Huldah says to the men who come to her. She says to them, this is what the Lord, God of Israel, says. I'm going to bring disaster on this place and its people because they have forsaken me, burned incense to other gods, and aroused my anger by all that their hands have made. So here's what's happening in the signature moment. You've got the rediscovering of the truth of God. You've got God's signature here of correction, rebuke, challenge. You've got Josiah's response of contrition and wisdom seeking. But then you have Huldah who speaks the truth. My friends, do you have friends like this? Do you have friends who will tell you the truth even when you don't want to hear it, even when it might be hard to hear? And are you willing to go seek after those people who are going to tell you things you don't want to hear because you know what you need to hear? Or at least you know you need to hear something that you might not want to hear. And then the second, the second piece of that is, are you willing to be a holder? Are you willing to speak truth? All right, here's my true confession this morning. Hi, my name is Alex. I'm a people pleaser. And you say, hi, Alex. Thank you. I'm a people pleaser. Any other, do I have any other people pleasers out there? Any other, any other people pleasers? Okay. Some of you are like, I have no idea what that means. Some of you have no idea what that verb, like that, that category of a human being. You're like, I don't know what that is. You're weird. Okay, so just bear with me and my people for just a minute, okay? People pleasers. 
We love making people happy. We love making sure people are happy with us. I've got really good news for you. It's really important for you to hear. There are some things more important than people pleasing. That's truth speaking. Truth speaking is more important than people pleasing. Not being abrasive. Not being a jerk. Not kind of lording it over. Not being self-righteous. Not beating people up. Truth speaking. Later in the New Testament, Paul's going to describe it as speaking the truth in love. Right? Truth spoken in love. That's what Holda does here. She speaks the truth as Josiah desperately needs to hear it. We, too, need to be truth speakers to one another. And we need to be willing to speak the truth and seek out the truth, even when it might be hard for us to hear. Now, of course, the truth isn't always bad news. Holda also has some good news as she continues to speak the truth back to these men who have sought her out. So here's the rest of Holda's pronouncement, starting in verse 16. I mean, sorry, 26. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says concerning the words you heard. Because your heart was responsive, you humbled yourself before God when you heard what he spoke against this place and its people. Because you humbled yourself before me, tore your robes and wept in my presence, I have heard you, declares the Lord. Now I will gather you to your ancestors. You'll be buried in peace. Your eyes will not see the disaster I'm going to bring on this place and on those who live here. So, uh, so I'm, a, I'm a pastor, right, a religious guy, and... I end up in conversations with people all the time that are sharing heartbreak, difficult stuff, hard things happening to them. It's one of the most sacred moments of my job, right? And, and because faith is often a part of these people's lives, they're often trying to figure out what role God plays, right? What role does God play? And some of us, as we're trying to figure out what role does God play in the mess that is my life or this person who's really hurt me or uh, done hard things to me. Maybe some of you on Father's Day, like Father's Day is a hard day for you because your dad was a train wreck and that was really hard on you. Like, and you're like, okay, what role did God play in all that? And one of the things that kind of gets trotted out occasionally for some of us is we kind of get overly deterministic in this. We kind of think that, well, kind of God does all this. And, and, and the phrase that comes out over and over again is God's got a plan, which is not, not true. God does have a plan. But sometimes the way we can think about that is God's got a plan, so whatever happened is according to his plan. And what the scriptures here, this story, and many other scriptures like it show us is that God does have a plan, but human beings don't always comply with his plan, and not everything that happens is a part of God's original plan. Throughout the book of Chronicles, God keeps sending prophets over and over and over again to the people. Repent, repent, repent. They ignore God and continue to worship false gods. That wasn't God's plan. That was human beings rebelling against God's plan. It happens all the time. Not everything that happens is God's plan. Some of what happens is human beings rejecting God's plan. Now, here's the good news. God can redeem anything, but he does not script everything. Super important to, to, to differentiate. God can redeem everything. God's God. He can redeem anything. But he doesn't script everything. If, if you have been hurt, people have sinned against you in horrible, horrific ways. And I'm, I'm a pastor. I hear all the horrible things. I've got really good news for you. God did not script that hurt. He can redeem it. Make it good. Bring good out of it. Use it to further his plan along the way. God never intends or plans evil. God never intends or plans for people to be unjust to each other, to do violence to each other. God never plans for people to reject him. That's not a part of God's plan. That's human beings rejecting God's plan, pushing back against God's plan. And God responds to that, right? And conversely, when human beings act faithfully, just like Josiah, the scriptures say that sometimes God changes his mind. Can you believe that? 
God changes his mind multiple times throughout the scriptures. It's God says, I see what you've done. I hear what you have done, what you've said. I am going to change my mind about what I was going to do. Here's what we see throughout the scriptures. That God's signature is this. He always responds graciously to people who respond faithfully to him. God always responds graciously to people who respond faithfully to him. Just like Josiah. Josiah has wept, repented, tore his robes, sought the Lord. And God says, I see you. I have heard you. I'm going to push pause on my plan. Your generation will not see what the judgment I'm going to bring because you have repented, because you have turned toward me. God always responds graciously to people who respond faithfully to him. Now, it doesn't mean everything gets fixed. It doesn't mean your circumstances always magically or get changed miraculously. What it does mean is even if your life is still a hot mess and even if you've drifted from God for decades, I've got really good news. No matter how far you've been from God, no matter how long you've been away from God, he is always inclined to be gracious to you. When you turn back to him. Isn't that good news? No matter how long you've been away. No matter how far away you've run. Every every person who turns to the Lord. He graciously, generously, lovingly receives. You can always have the Lord. No matter what your circumstances. No matter how broken things are. And no matter how bad or far afield you have been. There is no error you can commit with more power than the cross of Jesus Christ who loves to pour out forgiveness and grace and mercy to any and all people. And so the God of the universe loves to move graciously towards human beings who are inclined toward him. And the the plans of God are a little bit more real time. They're a little bit more dynamic than just he's got a plan that runs according to script. God is always interacting with bad players in the world and good players in the world and bad players who used to be bad players who were repenting. Today, right now, all over the globe, there are people who are returning back to God who forgot about him for decades. Maybe you're one of them. And God is rejoicing over those people and he's writing a new story, doing a new thing and responding to them in his love and compassion, his mercy, his strength, his spirit to heal broken things. And right now today in real time, there are people that God is imploring, follow me, follow me, follow me. And they're rejecting God, rejecting God, rejecting God. And God is saying, no, I'm going to keep pursuing you to the day you die. And they're missing out on the opportunity to have a signature moment with God. Like the people who are responding to him today all over the globe. So God is always, always, always graciously inclined to respond to hearts that are willing to respond faithfully to him. We see that with Josiah. We see that all throughout history. Anytime someone is willing to put their life into God's hands, God is willing to meet you with grace, mercy, love. He does it with Josiah. He does it especially with Jesus, who at every single turn says, I'm only doing whatever I see God the Father doing. And every, at every step in Jesus' life, he's responding to God's invitation, God's signature. And when human beings respond faithfully to God's signature action, it unleashes redemption, grace, and healing into the world. That's how God designed the universe. My friends, today's wildly important take-homes from 2 Chronicles 34. Here's some things I want you to kind of hold on to as we're growing, understanding what does God's signature look like and what does signature responsiveness look like. And then we're going to do a little bit of response here together. It's a little bit new as a community. First off, that 
part of what happens in the story. What the signature moment is, is all about rediscovering, right? Who God is, the book of the law. It's all about rediscovering God. And they do that as they're faithfully doing good work, right? So as they're showing up and doing the work that they're supposed to do, that they need to do, God meets them. So rediscovery, discovery is about kind of where you putting yourself in places, faithful places, faithful practices to meet the Lord. Secondly, God's signature sometimes looks like correction, challenge, rebuke. What are we going to do about that? Everyone experiences it. How are you going to respond to it could be the difference in your walk with the Lord. Josiah's faithful response. Contrition. Not, sh- not shame and unhealthy guilt, just genuine, re- genuine heartbreak. And then wisdom seeking. I want to know what's true. He goes to the prophet Huldah. Huldah's job is to speak truth and love, which she does so boldly, which is not only a word that's harsh, it's also a word of grace and mercy to Josiah, because God, God's signature moment always looks like, his signature always looks like gracious response. It's a faithful response to him. There's today's wildly important take-homes all in one slide. You can see here two things, right? You see a, a signature moment looks like partially to do with God, what's God doing, what's God's signature look like, and then partially to do with faithful responses. What does a faithful response look like from these different characters in the story to unleash God's grace and mercy into the story? That's what this sort of dance of signature moments looks like. It's God's movement, and then it's also human beings' responsiveness to God's movement along the way. We want to learn and grow in learning what this looks like together and individually. So here's what we're going to do today, a new thing that we're going to introduce today. We're going to do this for the rest of the series. On your chair, you've got a little note card. So pull up a little note card. And here's what, I, here's what I want you to do. Uh, we're going to kind of bring this up on the right and left. In front of you, there should be, uh, in the seat pocket, there should be a pencil or a pen. And if you're at home, you get a piece of paper or note card or whatever, you can even just type this up. should be a pencil or pen on the uh, seat pocket in front of you. So, so pull that out. And here's what I want you to do. On the left side of the note card, you don't need to write this prompt, but here's what I want you to write. What does God's signature from this passage look like? Okay. God's signature from 2 Chronicles 34, what does it look like? It, you could see, I've given you some starter words, right? It looks like uh, God's always there. It looks like he's gracious. It looks like he speaks correction. You could use a word I've given you, or you could come up with an, your own word. In your own words, just one or two words about what God's signature from 2 Chronicles 34 looks like. Okay, so you're going to write just one or two words here. Just a minute, just a minute, we're going to do that. And then that's on the left side. And on the right side, faithful response from this passage looks like what? Right? I've, given, I've given you a couple words. Maybe, you, maybe some of those words have just popped out for you. Maybe they're like, oh, yeah, that's the word for me. That's what I need to hear. Or maybe there's some other way that you want to respond, right? Some other word. Or maybe some other character from the story we didn't even talk about. You're like, oh, I like how Shokiah responded or, what, or Hilkiah responded or whatever. Is there some other way that you want to describe what the faithful response might look like, okay? So I'm going to give you just one minute now where you're going to jot down left side. Here's what God's sort of signature looks like in this story from 2 Chronicles 34. On the right side, here's what a faithful response looks like from 2 Chronicles 34. I want you to kind of capture some of those learnings. Take just one minute now to go ahead and do that. All right, so here's what, you can, here's what we're going to do with these cards. Uh, door number one, 
You just keep this as your wildly important take home for you, right? Here's what God's speaking to you. Here's something that you want to pray about and think about. Totally great. Uh, it's fantastic. Door number two is on the way out in the lobby. There is a giant board that talks about God's signature moments. And if you're willing, we would invite you to take your note card and put and tack it up on that board out in the lobby. Because what we want to do is we want to see what's God speaking to us together. What's the word to us as a community? What's God speaking? What are the themes that keep coming up over and over and over again? So what we're going to do this week is we'll gather up all the note cards out there. And we're going to build a, a graphic next week that's here's how God spoke to our community this past week. Here's the words that we heard. Here's the things that were resonating with our church across as a community. Because we want to grow as a church in learning how to see God's signature movement toward us and how to respond faithfully. And each week what we're going to do is we're going to keep adding more and more note cards to that, white, that board out there. And we're going to keep growing and saying, what is, and, and seeing what is God speaking to Chatham Community Church as a community. So if you're willing to do this, you don't have to, but if you're willing, just kind of take that, take that little note card and tack it up on the board on the way out. And we'll collect them this week and we'll start to build a graphic. And if you're online, we're going to invite you to put your words in the chat. And I'm going to ask the chat moderator, Radia, if you would just email those to me, whatever people have said in the chat. That would be fantastic. We're going to try to collect what is God saying? What, is the, what are the words that are coming up for us as a community? And how might we name and celebrate those together? Because here's the thing. When God moves, you don't want to miss it. You don't want to reject it. You don't want to push it away. Because when God moves in one of his signature ways, and his people respond as faithfully as we know how, it unleashes new grace, new mercy, new love, redemptive power over and over and over again. My prayer for us is that we would have eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts that are more than willing to jump in to create one of God's signature moments right here at Chatham Community Church. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thanks so much for your faithfulness and kindness to us. Father God, thank you for being a God who invites us to worship, to walk. And Lord, I pray for my friends who are here who are having a signature movement in their lives. Maybe a signature movement where you're challenging them. Where they're struggling with a call on their lives. Where you're redirecting them in a direction that they don't want to go. Father, for all of us, would our hearts be open and teachable, willing to follow your lead into whatever direction you have for us, even if it requires repentance, confession, contrition. Lord, would you help us to cultivate faithful practices and faithful places that we might not forget what is true, what is most important, what is most true about you, about ourselves, about your purposes in the world? Would you help us to have hearts that are humble, that respond to your conviction? that seek out wisdom? Would you give us hold us? Would you help us to behold us to one another, to speak the truth in love to one another? Lord, if there's places where some of us know we need to seek truth a little bit more aggressively, a little more seriously, or Lord, if there's people, if some of us have a sense of, I just papered over something. I, someone asked me for a thought or opinion and I just said what they wanted to hear. I was too busy trying to make them happy or get them to like me. I didn't really speak the truth. Lord, would you give us the courage to maybe circle back, speak the truth in love? And Father, over all these things, we declare the good news that you are a good, good Father, the perfect Father who always responds graciously when we respond to you faithfully. And Lord, if there are friends here who have drifted from you for a long, long time, I pray that they would see your open arms of a good Father. They would hear the voice of the Spirit singing out to them and inviting them to come, come home, come home, come back home. To 
renew, re-engage, and to hear the voice of a good, good father who is for them and with them. May we be courageous to build our lives around the scriptures, around the God who is over those scriptures. May we be people whose lives are full of worship. We pray in Jesus' strong, mighty name. Amen.